We are in Chagiga Yud Amabez, 10b2 in the Arsul Gemaras, in the second column of the page. We are continuing on in the list of the Mishnah. The Mishnah gave a list of different categories of halacha in which there is just a hint to the concept in the Torah, but in the written Torah, but it's not directly found in the written Torah. And most of the laws or a foundational part of the law is found is not found in the Torah, it's just part of the oral Torah, that which was given down to Moshe to pass on from generation to generation, but it was not written down. So the first two cases that we had was Shabbos and Chagiga. Today we will discuss the next example. The next example is Me'ila. Me'ila is, we've had it a little bit in the past, but Me'ila is when you misuse property or money which is designated for Kedusha, for holiness, for the base of Mikdash, for the temple. If you use it uh, for something else, for something uh, secular, not for something holy, <coughs> excuse me, so then it has the status of Me'ila. It's important to point out that Me'ila only applies if you do it inadvertently. It's not intentionally. You didn't intentionally uh, have in mind to use this for something which is not holy. It was Everything was done was unintentional, and you have to then bring a korban, a sacrifice, to atone for it. And in addition to that, for the loss that it was incurred from the base of Mikdash, it was supposed to go to the base of Mikdash, you used it in some way, so it could no no longer go to the base of Mikdash. In addition to the loss that you have to pay for, you also have a fine of an additional fifth. One fifth then has to also go to towards the base of Mikdash. You have to pay the, the base of Mikdash an additional fifth. There is a big, big discussion what is the underlying Avera? What is the underlying sin for doing Mila, for misusing property, animals, money, which is designated for the base of Migdash? And so there's really two different approaches which you could take. One approach to take is that it's a form of stealing. Just like you're not allowed to steal from people, so then if you use something which is designated for the base of Migdash, so it's like it belongs to the base of Migdash, that's where it's supposed to be used for, so it's like you're stealing from the base of Migdash. And so therefore, it has a bit of a, of a stricter punishment. You have to have that fine of an additional fifth because you're taking it from the base of Migdash, from the temple, from something holy. But in the end, in the end of the day, it is a, an Avera, it is a sin of stealing. The alternative explanation is that it's not about stealing per se, but it's about benefiting from that which is holy. A secular, a non-holy benefit from that which is holy, that you are... You are mixing up that which is holy from that which is not holy. And it's like it's a bizayon. It's a disgrace to that which is holy when you use it for something which is not holy. Which So the, the avera would then not, the sin would not be related to stealing per se, but it's more connected to uh, a disgrace to that which is holy. That you're just taking something holy and making it unholy. Okay, that's with regards to mi'ila, this uh, prohibition of mi'ila. And again, these cases are specifically when it's unintentional, it's by accident, that you would have to then bring a korban. If it was done intentionally, so then that has a different set of laws. So the Gemara asks, I don't understand, the same question that the Gemara had for with regards to Shabbos and Chagiga, these laws are explicit in the Torah. Why, why do we say that this is not written in the Torah? It is written in the Torah. So the Gemara is going to give four suggestions as to what it means that it's not written in the Torah. They're going to reject all four, 
and then it's going to come back to one of the other, one of the previous suggestions and explain how really one of the suggestions of the four is really correct. So we're going to go through four different potential suggestions, four different suggestions, and it's going to reject it, and then we're going to come back to one of those four. So the Gemara answers number one, the first possible suggestion. Amar Rami Barachama. Rami Barachama says, Lo nitzrucha el lechadidnan. We need it for the following case. The following case is not written in the Torah. So the case here is where you send the messenger. There's a concept of a messenger in in Jewish law, also in secular, but also in secular law, but also in Jewish law. You are allowed to appoint a messenger in many, many different cases. And there are other cases where you cannot appoint a messenger, but there are certain cases where you're, you're, it's permissible to appoint a messenger and they can fulfill your obligation, your halakhic obligation, or they can just perform transactions for you, different things that they can do for you. So what do you do? You appoint a messenger to use money or an object that's designated for the base of Mikdash. Now, you, the one who appointed the messenger, didn't realize you forgot that this was designated for the base of Mikdash. And you gave it to the messenger. So the, the law is that if the messenger fulfilled that which you wanted, so let's say it was money, money which is designated for the base of Mikdash, and you asked the messenger to buy you a coat, and the messenger the agent buys you a coat. So we say, The one that is guilty is the one that sent the messenger, not the agent, not the messenger, but the one that sent the messenger is guilty. He's violated Me'ilah. But if he did not do that which he was told, he was supposed to buy a coat, but instead of buying a coat, instead he bought food, let's say, so he did not perform that which he was told. So now it's no longer connected to the one who told him what to do, but the agent himself has violated Me'ilah. Even though he didn't know that this was coins designated for the base of Me'ilah, that's the whole point. The whole concept of Me'ilah is specifically when you didn't realize. You didn't realize that it was designated, but in fact it was designated. So that's the law. What's strange about this law is that, which is what the Gemara is about to say, is that even though in general you could have messengers, there's a concept of Ein Shlichus Ladvar Avera. You're not allowed to have, it doesn't work to appoint a messenger to do an Avera for you, to do a sin for you. You can't appoint a shliach. you can't appoint a messenger to do a sin for you. If he does the sin, even if you told him to do it, it's his sin, it's not your sin, the one who told him to do it. It's the agent's sin. There's no concept of appointing a shliach, a messenger for an Avera. So how can we say, how do we have this concept that if he performs that which he was told, so then it's as if the one who told him to go has violated the sin. Why should he have violated the sin? So that's what the Gemara is going to ask. Why is it that we say that the one that who's over, who has violated Me'ilah, is the one that appointed the messenger? Who is the one that used the money? It was the messenger. The messenger used the money. So why should we say that the one that has violated the sin is the one that appointed the messenger? The messenger himself did the sin. There's a concept that you, we don't have a messenger for sins. So why don't we have a messenger for sins? There are a few different explanations that are given. Okay, this is now just not from the Gemara, but from our Gemara, but there are three suggestions that are given as to why you cannot, even though in general you can appoint a messenger, you cannot appoint a messenger when it comes to having the messenger sin. The most, the, one of, the Gemara suggests one explanation, which is that a concept of divrei rav, divrei atama, divrei mishomen. If you, I appoint you to go ahead and steal. I tell you, go steal money from me. So, 
who should he listen to? Should he listen to me, the one who told him to do it? Or should he listen to God? It's obvious he should listen to God. So even though I appoint him, it doesn't make a difference. He should go ahead. Ultimately, he should listen uh, to God. And so therefore, you can't, you can't say that it relates back to me. It's his fault for not listening to God because God is really the first messenger in the story. That's one reason why we can't appoint a messenger for a sin. The second one is that who did the action of the sin? Only the one that did the action of the sin can be viewed as the one that violated the sin. And so, therefore, the messenger who goes ahead and steals, he's the one that has violated the sin. So, therefore, since he's the one that violated the sin, he did the action. Therefore, we attribute the sin to him and not to the one that appointed him. And then there's a third explanation that says that even when it comes to certain mitzvot, I can't appoint somebody to do a mitzvah for me. For example, I can't appoint somebody else. I'm not interested in davening today. I'm not interested in putting on tefillin today. It doesn't work for me to appoint somebody else and say, you put on tefillin for me. There's certain mitzvot where I can't say that it's really dependent upon me. I have to be the one that does it to perform the mitzvah. So the same thing is true with regards to an avera, with regards to a sin. It's impossible to say that it's connected back to the one who told the messenger. It's the messenger who's the one that did it, and so therefore he has violated the sin. Those are three different explanations as to why you cannot appoint a messenger for a sin. Again, because Divrei Rab, Divrei Talmud, Divrei Mishomen, that God commanded, appointed him a messenger first before the one that told him, the one that appointed him as a messenger to sin. So he should listen to God. Number two is that the one that does the action itself is the one that violated the sin. And number three is that there are certain actions where it has to, re- it can only relate to the person that, the one that's doing it. Some, somewhat similar to the second approach. Just like by mitzvos, I can't appoint a messenger to put on tefillin for me. So too with regards to an avera. So the Gemara says, the fact that we say, going back to the Gemara now, the fact that we say that the one that appointed him as messenger to make that acquisition, the fact that he has sinned, not the agent, not the messenger, but the one that appointed him, that goes against all the rules. So that's why it means that this is not found in the Torah. This goes against all the rules of the Torah. So Amar Rava, Rava rejects this. Rava says, no, it is found in the Torah. Me'ila is different. When it comes to Me'ila, we have Xeri Shava, which is a, a tool that we've seen in the past where you have two words in two different, the same word that's found in two different contexts. We could compare the laws of one to the other. And just like when it comes to Truma, a different area of Halacha where you designate some of the produce to give to the Kohen as a gift. So just like over there, you're allowed to appoint a messenger to give some of the produce to the Kohen. So to over here, you're allowed to appoint a messenger and it works and it and the one that's violating it is the one that appointed him as a messenger. It just it is found in the Torah based on Exerishava, based on this tool that's used to learn various halachos. So that's the rejection of option number one. Option number two. We need it for the following law. The following law is against the is not found in the Torah. Niskar balabais velo niskar shaliach shaliach ma'al shaliach anya ma'ka avid haynu karar and hatulim b'sa'ara. So let's say similar case. Somebody appoints somebody else. They have coins. They didn't realize that it belonged to the base of Mikdash, to the temple. They gave it to an agent, to a messenger, to go buy something with it. On his way to buy the coat, whatever it is, the the one that appointed him as the messenger realized that. It was really, he gave him money that was designated for the base of Mikdash. Once he realizes that, 
before the acquisition. So then we can't say that the one who appointed him as a messenger violates anything. Because since he remembered and he wanted to go back on it before the transaction took place, so he can't violate anything. But we say the messenger then, once the one who appointed him remembers, the messenger then is guilty of mi'ilah. Because it's not going back on the one that sent him, so rather the messenger is the one that's guilty of mi'ilah. So the Gemara asks, What did this poor agent do? But the agent didn't do anything. The agent didn't realize that it was money that was designated for the base of Migdash. So he didn't do anything. So why should he be found guilty? Sigmar says, This is what it means that it's something which isn't found in the Torah. This idea is not found in the Torah. So that's suggestion number two. The Gemara rejects this as well. Omar Ravashi, We pointed out towards the beginning of this recording that Mi'ilah is a violation specifically when you don't know about it. So what's the problem? The Shaliyah, this agent, did not realize, he did not know that this was money that was designated for the base of Middash. But those are the cases that you violate Mi'ilah. Just like if you were to find money on the ground, how are you supposed to, you shouldn't, how are you supposed to assume that it is, belongs to the base of Middash? If a person uses that, even though it in fact did belong to the base of Middash, so then you're guilty of Mi'ilah, even though there was no reason for you to assume that it belonged to the base of Middash if you just found money on the ground. So anytime that you don't realize it, that's when you violate Mi'ilah. So it's, it, 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 is, it is part of the fundamental ideas of Me'ilah. And so therefore, it really is part of the Torah. And so therefore, it can't, this can't be the explanation of that which is not found in the Torah. So suggestion number three. Elamar Ravashi, Ravashi gives the following suggestion. We need it for the following halacha, for the following law. So let's say you take a stone or beam from Hektish, from the pile of that which is belongs to the base of Migdash. So the law is, is that he's not guilty of Mi'ilah. If you pick it up and take it for yourself, you're not guilty of Mi'ilah. But if you give it to your friend, you take it from the pile and give it to your friend, that's when you are guilty. Your friend is not guilty to use it afterwards because once you give it to this friend, the law is that it loses its sanctity. It's no longer, once you perform that transaction, it's no longer viewed as part of the base of Migdash. So your friend could use it, but you... You, when you give it over as a transaction, has violated Mi'ilah. You're guilty of Mi'ilah because you took from the pile and gave it to a friend. So the Gemara asks, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. Turning to 10b4. If you're taking it from the pile of Hektish, of that which belongs to the base of Mikdash, what's the difference whether you pick it up for yourself or whether you pick it up to give it to your friend? Either way, when you pick it up, it belongs to you. It belongs to you or you give it to your friend. You're taking it away. The point is... You're taking it away from the base of Migdash, from that pile that belongs to the base of Migdash. And yet that's the law, even though it's counterintuitive. So, This is what it means that we have laws that are hanging by a thread, because you would not have thought that this is true, but really it is true. It really depends only if you give it to your friend. If you just take it for yourself, you have not violated Mila, even though you wouldn't think as such. So, the Gemara asks, no. My kusha, we reject that suggestion as well. Suggestion number three. Maybe that only applies in the following scenario like Shmuel. The Amr Shmuel, Shmuel says, we're now on 11a1. We're talking about a very specific case. The cases where there's a Gizbar, the one that's in charge of everything, all the, the, the material that's for the base of Mikdash, and he, for the temple, and he constantly is holding on to it. So since he's constantly holding on to it, 
whenever it's in his hands, it's not like he's taking it for his own acquisition, for him to take it away from the base of Mikdash. It's really just whenever it's in his hands, it's just really viewed as part of the base of Mikdash because he's the one that was set in, to be in charge of the materials in the base of Mikdash. So for such a person, if it's in his property, it's still viewed as connected to the base of Mikdash. But once he gives it over to a friend, that's when he would violate this prohibition of Meila. So this this rule does make sense. It is not counterintuitive because it makes sense to distinguish whether it's in his hands or whether he, he, he performed the transaction to, to give it to his friend. Because when it's in his hands, it's viewed as really still connected to the base of Mikdash because he was the one that was appointed to take care of all the materials in the base of Mikdash. Once he gives it over to his friend, that's when he violates Meila. So the Gemara gives suggestion number four. Elamei Seifa rather comes from the end of that Mishnah that we just quoted for the following law. So what do you do? You take an object that was designated for the base of Mikdash and you build it into your own house. It was supposed to be for the structure of the base of Mikdash of the temple. You put it into your own house. So the law is that you have not violated Mi'ilah, this Avera, this sin, until you benefit from it, until you sit under it for the value that's worth of the, the, the lowest value of a pruta. It's viewed as, pruta is like a, the lowest value, like a cent, something like that. So you have to, it's not just putting it in, but it's benefiting from it. So the one asks, I don't understand, it's counterintuitive. Mihdi, shono yishniya, malidar, malilodar, hainu karana tulim bisara. He says, I understand, why do you have to benefit from it? In the end of the day, what did you do? You put this object into the house. You you made it as a as a formal structure in the house. So whether or not you you live in the house, you benefit from it, shouldn't make a difference. You have now taken it away from the base of Mikdash and put it into your house. So that's what it means that because it's counter, it's a counterintuitive law, that really you don't violate it until you live in the house, that wasn't found in the Torah. So that's what it means that it's like hanging by a thread, which is not found in the Torah. So the Gemara rejects suggestion number four as well. Umay kosha, what's the problem? This is like Rav, Rav, It's a very specific case also. This answer is also that it's a very specific case where you put this object, there was an opening in the roof, you put this object in the roof to close it up. So it's not really a permanent structure in the building. It's just to close up a hole. It has not changed significantly. It has really not changed at all. It's just covering a hole. So it's easy to take out. So that's why the law is, if you benefit from it, so it's like you're using it in a secular way, if you benefit from it, if you're living under it, so then you have violated Lodar Beilo, but if you have not lived there underneath it, so then you have not violated Me'ilah. But just to put it there is also not a violation of Me'ilah because it's not that it changed its structure, it's not permanently fixed in there. So therefore you only violate Me'ilah if you actually benefit from it, you benefited from it from in a secular way, in a non-holy way, not for the base of Me'ilah, so then it makes sense that, that is a, that's only when you violate Me'ilah. So the Gemara concludes, and it goes back to one of the suggestions. Really, we're going back to the suggestion like Rava, which said that if the, the sender became aware that the money he gave to the messenger was really for the base of Megdash, so then the agent is the one that's guilty. So we asked, it's obvious that he's guilty, because anybody who doesn't realize, that's the case when you're guilty, when you don't realize so the Gemara says, no, there's a difference between finding money on the floor, <coughs> which was the other example that we gave at the time, to say when you find money on the floor, 
and you use it for your own needs, but really it belonged to the base of Mikdash, you have violated Mi'ilah. In that case, the Gemara wants to distinguish and say, in that case, you should have realized, you should have been concerned, you should have looked into the matter because you don't know where it's coming from. But over here, when somebody appoints you as a, as a messenger and that person is a trustworthy person, why should you go ahead and investigate and assume uh, or even be suspicious that this belongs to the base of Mikdash? There's no reason for you to be suspicious and so therefore you shouldn't be guilty at all. This is not even... It's not even viewed as accidental. It's, it's an onus. It's against, it's against your will. You didn't even, there was absolutely no reason for you to be concerned. Nevertheless, we say that you have still violated Mi'ilah. That's the case that the Torah didn't tell us. It's counterintuitive, but that still is the law. Again, so it distinguishes between finding something on the floor where, we have to, where you don't know whether it's from money that belongs to the basic or not. You have the responsibility to look into it. If somebody gives it to you to go ahead and buy them a coat, there's no reason for you to look into it. You trust your friend. And so therefore, you really should not violate Mi'ilah uh, based on just uh, how people would think. But really, you do violate it even though it's not explicit in the Torah. And that is the conclusion of the Gemara for the case that is not found in the Torah.